When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 13 or is it episode 14 now i think it's episode 13 i think it's 14 i think we already did 13 my bad episode 14 of the tactical yanks podcast we've got a lot of very interesting things to discuss yesterday i'm your co-host pete douthit and with me of course is my other co-host Filippo silva how you doing man i'm doing good but today you're the host yeah we're both co-hosts we just take <laughs> turns introducing it really no i'm doing good it's been we just watched the the other well not the last one but another team qualified to the world cup peru just lost to australia on pk so australia will be in the world cup tomorrow we're recording this on monday we're going to find out if costa rica will make it mm-hmm. so it's been it's been a fun summer of soccer right now right not we're not very nervous with anything that's happening there's nothing at stake for us yeah it's been enjoyable to watch that uefa nations league which we're going to talk about as well today yeah. uh, a couple of the games we watch usmnt transfers that we're going to talk about it's been a good start of the summer i'll put it that way for sure how do you feel about peru not making it to the world cup as a conmebol enthusiast so in terms of talent and on paper they're definitely one of the the weakest teams on paper and they are just very well coached and very well managed by gareca truly the team that should be there the fifth seed should have been ecuador or or colombia well right? ecuador is there well, they qualify, but I'm just saying Ecuador and Colombia should be the ones battling out fourth and fifth. Colombia should have truly been fourth based yeah. on the players they have. But but Peru made it once again, just like they did last time, getting fifth seed. And last time they actually qualified to the World Cup, this time, well, <laughs> they're out. Well, last time they were matched with Oceania, so they got mm-hmm. to play New Zealand. Now they're matched with Australia, which was a tougher opponent. They're- Australia played well in that game. They didn't create a lot, but they were very good at frustrating Peru. And yeah. Peru had really one good chance on goal in the whole 120 minutes. The, this Peruvian side is uh, under Gareca, right? Their current coach, which failed miserably miserably in Palmeiras when he coached Palmeiras. But they've been overachieving, man. There's better teams in South America. Honestly, Chile, despite being old in the last cycle, Chile should have made it, right? Not Peru. Um, but but they, I, I think they made it far enough. I still expect them to defeat Australia. Um, mm-hmm. not based on any analysis because I didn't really know much about Australia to 
give a proper analysis, but I expected yeah. them to make it. But but it was also one of those games they hit the post. They could have maybe won it. It was 0-0 PKs. It looked like they were going to win when Galezi saved the first PK. But then Australia, the, the dancing goalkeeper. Oh the my dancing God, goalkeeper. That was so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the dancing goalkeeper made it happen and, and you know, going to get some kangaroos in the World Cup. Yeah, on the upside, I mean, I wanted Peru probably, but Australia, the upside is another team that calls it soccer and representation from six continents, you know, because if no Australia and no New Zealand, who I think will lose to Costa Rica tomorrow, then we wouldn't have any Oceania representation at the World Cup. So it's not a very talented Australia team. It's a very workmanlike performance. They don't have the same talent that they used to have, you know, 10 years ago, but they're in the World Cup and, and congratulations to them. It'll be interesting it's the fifth World Cup in a row for Australia, by the way. Fifth World Cup in a row. Yeah. Well, good for them. I mean, they at the end of the day, you play the games you get and you have to qualify, you know? Mm -hmm. So good for them. I'm happy for the for Australia. It'll be fun to have them at the World Cup. And those jerseys are fire. Like their whole kit, the dark green with the yellow, it's it's a fire kit. So a lot better than what we're gonna be wearing at the World Cup for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, now we're gonna talk about USMNT transfers today. Yes, we have USMNT transfers, some rumors coming uh, around. The first one I want to talk about is Gaga Slonina to Chelsea. And we've talked a little bit about Gaga and what he needs to do. So let's start with you, Tack. What are your thoughts on this transfer? Uh, it would be an honor to start because I actually, I actually recorded in the morning with the Chelsea channel that asked me to stop by Ma, uh, a good Chelsea channel. She asked me to stop by and talk about Gaga Slonina because they didn't really know what they were getting right at this point. Uh, he asked me if it looked like maybe it was a Courtois move. Remember, Chelsea signed him from Belgium at a young age, loaned him out to Atletico Madrid, where he stayed for three seasons, and then he came out and became the world-class goalkeeper that he is. And I, the first thing I told him right away was not quite, right? Gaga Sonino no. wouldn't start for Atletico Madrid right now. Yeah. Um, then he asked him with his feet, and then I, I talked about how, you know, it's been shaky with Chicago. They tried to play out of the back at one point. Um, I even talked to Alex Calabresi a little bit to make sure I was right of what I was thinking about him. And Alex watches all the Chicago games, and he told me, "Yeah, he's not good with his feet yet." But I also told him that 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 Gaga Sonina does have show sparks of talent in his shot stopping, and and he's just 18. And just to make clear, he's not Donnarumma, he's not Courtois. That's not who you guys are getting, and that he'll probably the best scenario is go to Chelsea, but stay on Chicago for a season or two on a loan, then eventually move there and get a loan to a team in Europe, maybe in the Premier League, maybe Championship, whatever it is, that he can adjust, right, and have time. Because with Chelsea, he might be one of those signings that signs for Chelsea and just never plays because the standard for Chelsea goalkeeping is world-class. They'll yeah. go ahead and they'll splash 50 million euros on a world-class goalkeeper. They don't care. Yeah. So if he's not that level, he'll never play for Chelsea. That's, I think they're just seeing the risk reward of paying just ten million, which is peanuts to them. It's nothing. Yeah. They'll pay ten million, and if he becomes a world class goalkeeper, they won. If he if he doesn't, they just they have other goalkeepers. They have other. They, they'll spend fifty million. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it reminds me a lot of the Matt Miazga transfer. Went there for five million <laughs> at 18, 19 years old, and then spent seven years on loan, just going from loan to loan to loan. Some good situations for him, some not so much. I'm not against the Slonina transfer, so long as, like you said, if they they you know loan him back to Chicago for another season and a half, because I think he needs another year and a half of playing regularly and then monitoring his progress. 
If he's like too good for MLS at that point, then maybe a loan to another team in Europe. But if he just goes to Chelsea and plays for their under 23s, I think that'll be the worst thing he can do for himself right now. And to be honest, I think Gaga Slonina, his head has been turned a little bit recently by all of the, you know, the Poland interest, all the transfer speculation. He even talked about being compared to Donnarumma and to Ramsdale. and Neuer. Neuer. Yeah. It's like you're 18 years old. If you look at his performances for Chicago, they've dipped recently. He's been more inconsistent than ever, you know, making silly mistakes, poor decision-making, coming off his line. His focus right now needs to be on becoming a better goalkeeper. So if this transfer happens, I hope it puts that to bed and he can return his focus now to improving technique, to getting reps, saving shots, positioning, reading of the game, all of these things that he really needs to improve on. You know, he's a good young keeper. Uh, looks like he has talent, but that doesn't mean anything, honestly. You know, we've seen plenty of eight ta talented 18-year-olds that have not ever really made it at any level. And he could end up being an MLS keeper for life if he doesn't improve. You know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. For me, Slonina would not start in any top five league in Europe right now. I don't even think he would start for a lot of second divisions in Europe. I I said that too in the he asked me about that if maybe get a loan to Premier League or Championship. I said if he if it's right now, he I don't I don't see him starting for any any goalkeeper in the championship, any team in the championship or any Premier League. I, I gave him an example. I was like, listen, I think it's pretty easy to establish that Sonina is a level or two below Ethan Horvath, Matt Turner, and Zach Steffen. And those three don't start for their Premier League clubs, or at least Matt Turner probably won't. Yeah. That's just one example, right? And Ethan Horvath. So I don't think he would at the moment. So for him, it would probably be better to stay another probably two seasons in MLS. Yeah. Um, and then when he's 20, because he just turned 18 this May. He's just turned 18. So once he's 20 then see where he is. Uh, right now, what Chelsea is essentially buying is potential. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a very fair point. And I like Gaga Slonina, but let's not overhype the kid too much right now. We'll see what happens with the transfer. I hope this transfer comes with a loan back for more than just six months, not just the rest of this season. What uh, concerns me is that Chicago might want to give Chris Brady minutes, so they'll let Slonina go this winter. And then, you know, have Brady start next season and Slonina's going to get lost in the under 23s. Yeah. And, and another thing to say that I, I did want to, to talk about is he asked me about who was the backup. And I said, it's another U.S. prospect, the goalkeeper. And then he asked, what if Slonina's loaned back, right? He's loaned back. Could the fire just start playing Brady now that they sold Slonina? <laughs> It's possible, but I think they see Slonina as the clear number one right now. He would have to make, make a lot of mistakes to lose his spot, I think. Which he point. has been making. So we need a look. Um, again, it's uh, Chelsea. By the way, it was reported by Fabrizio Romano. So right. it looks like it's very likely to happen. Again, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. It's it's they're they're betting on a prospect, but they're not betting a lot of money. We talked about this. How uh, Real Madrid, for example, they they put. 40 50 million on um on vinicius and that was a bet they were willing to persist right not gonna they persist. really believed in him yes they're not going to persist on gaga sonina they're going to keep loaning him and if he shows that he can play for chelsea another team that's fine if not they're eventually just going to let him go uh, yeah you see with miazga they're not persisting on him they're probably all, almost getting rid of him at this point so yeah that's all yeah all right, and the next transfer that we have to talk about is there's been a lot of rumors about Dortmund who need a striker. And they're rumored with 
Stuttgart's Kaladzic, who had six goals in the Bundesliga all season. And surprisingly to me, Jordan Pifok, who scored bucket full of goals in the Swiss League. 22. 22 goals, to be more specific, uh, for, for them. Um, also in the Champions League, had two goals, one against Atlanta. Atalanta, two. Had three. He had, he had one against three. Atalanta and one against Man United, who was the third against. He had three goals in six games in the Champions League. Are you sure? Because I was just looking at the stats here, and it says just the two. He he, he scored in the two? Champions League qualifiers, but not in the Champions League. Got itself. it, got it. So the qualifier. Okay, total that, but in the group stage two against the tougher opponents, yes. Against tougher opponents. You know, the Manchester United goal was sort of given to him on a platter. but Jesse Lingard, man. <laughs> Jesse Lingard passed it to him, and he was one-on-one with the keeper. And you still have to finish it, so kudos to him. But I don't really understand what Dortmund are doing right now. Um, because you just lost one of the best strikers in the world in Holland. And for, if you want to actually challenge Bayern Munich for the title, you need to be looking at a much higher caliber of forward than Jordan Pifok. I know they have Malin there, who will probably be the starter. They have Mukoko, who, in my opinion, is pretty overhyped. I don't really see the level with this kid. And so even if Jordan Pifok does go there, he's not going to start. I'd be very surprised if he ever starts for Dortmund. He's going to be their backup striker. I don't see Pifok really having the technique or the dynamism to play at the top of the Bundesliga, to play for Dortmund at the level of a club that they are. I just don't see it. And it Dortmund has this history of selling their best players for crazy amounts of money and then bringing in very substandard replacements. And if they keep doing that, they could drop out of the Champions League spots if they keep doing this. Like, Holland is a huge miss. Holland rescued their asses so many times last season or they wouldn't even be in top four right now, I don't think. So what is going to happen? Is Jordan Pifok really going to go to Dortmund? I honestly would be very surprised. And if he does go... I don't think Jordan Pifok is a Dortmund caliber player. I think they might. I mean, look, would it be fun to have an American playing with Gio Reyna at Dortmund to have two Americans there? Of course. But I think Jordan Pifok is going to spend the vast majority of, of, of his time on the bench and at best will score five goals for Dortmund. So, Nobody will be happier than me, though, to be wrong. So Malin might be the backup. I could see Dortmund. They signed Adeyemi from Salzburg. I could see maybe Adeyemi being their center forward. He can play wide, but he can also play as a center forward. Malin wasn't good last year. Let's be completely honest. Uh, the first thing I want to make clear is I agree with you 100%. Pifak is not a Dortmund starter. Definitely not a Dortmund starter. A second or third option center forward, that's not too crazy to say. Obviously, if they run into injuries, as they they do love to, lo- to, to like fall into injuries, and they have to start Pifak, it's definitely levels below what you expect from a team like Dortmund, right? Yeah. Uh, a team that had Lewandowski a couple years ago, that just had Erling Haaland, right? These world club, they're always looking for, and honestly, they had um, Immobile at one point that was a bust. He didn't well yeah. bust for them, Immobile. So I, I could see Pifak being a Dortmund player as a third option, which means he would probably never play in Bundesliga unless everyone's injured and maybe get some cup games. I could see him playing second division teams, third division. He'll be effective. But no, he's not a Dortmund player. I don't think it's too crazy of a transfer to happen, depending on how much that... Now, my question is this. like, How much is BSC Youngboy going to ask for? Right? Is it worth Dortmund paying $5 Like, If he was a free agent, 
it would make total sense. Like, hey, free agent, the guy scored in Champions League, scored in, bring him in. We we have we'll have some depth. But will they pay five million, six million, whatever they want for him? Because BSC Young Boy is not going to let him go for free either. Well, he was their top scorer last season. Yeah. I think they're going to ask for more. They're going to look at a club like Dortmund and ask for ten million for Pifok. Is that I worth it? Not for me. I don't think so. Honestly, if Dortmund wants to go after a striker, I think they should go for Jonathan David. They could probably get him for somewhere in the 20 to 30 million range. You're asking for 50. That's a lot. But I mean, they sold Holland for 75, so they still make a net profit. But they need, they've done good now to shore up this defense by bringing in Schlotterbeck and bringing in Schula, right? Because that was their big problem last season. But they still have to replace Holland. And I don't think a mix of Adeyemi and Malin and Pifok is going to cut it. I really don't. I think they're counting on Adeyemi being like, class that being a superb center for that's what they're banking on at Miami looked good at Salzburg but there were questions he gave me sometimes Timo Werner vibes mm. of making the right runs pressing well doing all the right movement and with you know those very bad finishing which is the complete opposite of Erlen Haaland which yeah. is very clinical in front of the goals so I don't know quite what they're going to do in regards to that but I do think at Miami is what they're betting on that, that's what I think Dortmund is doing. And and if they're really interested in PFOC, which it looks like it is real, it looks like it is based on the reports and the people that were leaking it, he would be like a second or third option right there, right? A target man. Because they don't really have a target man. Because if you look also at Malin, that's not who he is. He's a very mobile center for more of a winger playing there. Same thing with Adeyemi. Yeah. I, I could see it happening. It's not really a signing that really upgrades Dortmund. I also don't think Dortmund is going to challenge Bayern for the Bundesliga. I think if one team will eventually challenge them is Leipzig. Yeah. I think Leipzig can do it, but it's not going to be Dortmund. No, especially not because they keep selling their best players, which in some ways I understand. It's hard to hold on to Jaden Sancho's and Erling Haaland's and Christian Pulisic's. But at some point, Dortmund has to ask themselves what they want to be. You know, because if you let a $100 million for, you know, $70 million for Pulisic, $100 million for Sancho, you know, $75 million for Holland, you've got to bring replacements that, of course, maybe are not the same level, but at a much closer level if you want to keep challenging. And I was hopeful that now that Dortmund kind of shored up that defense with those two defensive signings and, you know, Gio Reyna, hopefully, if he's healthy, is going to be a, almost like a new signing because he wasn't fit most of the season. But up top is still a big, big question for me. Don't you agree that maybe Dortmund has already told us who they want to be? It seems like they're a team that has they're more worried about flipping players than having ambitions to actually beat Bayern. They kind of like seem like they gave up on that and they're just focused on because they sell literally everyone, right? They they've had Gudegon in the past, they had a Yang, they had Lewandowski, Mario Goetze, they sold him when he was they sold Hummels when he was at his prime and then got him back when he was like old. They yeah. still, they don't seem, they just seem to be more worried about flipping players, signing some young guys, developing, selling, mm-hmm. than actually getting to a point where they challenge Bayern Munich. So th- that's why I keep saying, I think if anyone's going to eventually challenge Bayern, it's going to be Leipzig. They seem to have ambition to win it. Will they? I don't know. Bayern is probably going to be at their low this season, right? With some players they lost, some Lewandowski leaving and all that. But that's that's my thought on. I think Pifak can be a BVB player, a Dortmund player, but the minutes will be like barely any. He's he's gonna be wearing the Dortmund jersey, but not really be a Dortmund player. That's what I'm trying to say. Which for him is not a good thing. No, he needs to be somewhere where he can be playing. Like if Dortmund gets Kaladzic, maybe he can be the replacement at Stuttgart. 
that's still, I think, a tough level for him. But I think it's a more realistic level, you know. Mm -hmm. Or if Lille do sell Jonathan David, I think the French league is a little more. He is also French, right? Maybe that's a that level. Lille is a tough team though, because that's a, a good team. Maybe Portugal or Holland or Belgium, something that's a step up from the Swiss league, but maybe not such a drastic step up. And that's my big concern with PFOC. Mm -hmm. He's been linked heavily to Bundesliga. It almost seems like that's where he's going to go. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Should we go to uh, uh, Luca De La Torre? Yes. Confirmed recently that he did have a deal in place to get sold by Heracles. And the only question now is, where should he go? What are your thoughts? So I, I, one thing I did say is that I would much rather him stay in Holland or Netherlands, right? And go play for one of the top five, top six clubs. Doesn't I'm not saying go to Ajax because I don't think he would start at Ajax. PSV is a little bit more debatable, um, but also would be a bigger challenge. But he can go to a 20, a Feyenoord, a team that's quality, that'll play Europa League or Conference League, and, and he'll have players he can combine with. And he'll mm -hmm. be fighting for the top of the table there. Not with the top two, but third, fourth. Because he essentially needs a better club, not necessarily a better league. My, my issue with him going to a top five league is, let's say he goes to the Serie A or La Liga, and then he lands in a club that's just fighting for relegation, and he's back in a situation where he's just defending for his lives and not doing much, right? He'll be in a tougher league, but he still is not in a club where he's actually showing his ability and being able to combine and get chemistry and actually develop that. So I think he's capable of playing in top five leagues, but preferably I would want him to play for a club where he actually holds possession of the ball, tries to do something with it rather than just bunker and defend and try to survive the league. So ideally for me, he's adapted to Holland. He can stay there. He knows the country, knows the league. The league knows him. Try to go to a top top team there and and go from there. That That's it. But, but like I said, for him, we know he's going to leave, but we haven't really heard rumors. So I don't know what's actual real interest. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I tend to agree with you. I don't want him going to a relegation spot in a top five league or a, or a team that might be fighting for relegation. The one place where I can see him being successful, even at a higher level club, is La Liga because they value his technical profile in La Liga. They're not. Their emphasis is more on technical players than on pure athletes. Uh, although he is actually very good athletically, he's just small. Um, but I think in a club, even a good club in La Liga, like a, a Rio Betis or a Real Sociedad, where maybe he wouldn't start every single game, but he would be pushed and he would play enough minutes because they value his kind of game there. Uh, if he starts 15, 20 games a season and comes off the bench in another 10, I would be okay with that. Um, but generally speaking, I agree with you. I would prefer he go to a top club in Holland I think PSV Eindhoven is not at all too big a step up for him. I think this guy is still a lot more talented than a lot of people are giving him credit for. And um, I would like to see him play at a good, good team for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, again, maybe this relegation was a blessing in disguise, right? It kind of forces them to get to sell him along with the agreement. But again, we'll see what happens. Delatore. We'll keep everyone informed. I, I like that you mentioned Real Batiste. Because Conrad de la Fuente was linked to them while Diego Linus leaves. <laughs> yeah. I also think that Gordado is going to play significantly less minutes this season. You know, he's yeah. aging. And I think that maybe he could be a replacement for Gordado in that midfield. Um, mm -hmm. But we will see. Do you have the sponsor read? 
I do. And once again, thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And the NBA Finals are still going on. It almost seems like NBA never ends. And the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors are still battling it out. And the official sports betting partner of the NBA is DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets. So download right now DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code TBPN. That is TBPN. And, and make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's the promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA and the sponsors of this podcast. Thank you once again, DraftKings. All right. Should we talk about the Nations League, specifically the UEFA Nations League, which has been going on? I've been covering a lot of teams um and having a lot of fun with it honestly uh mostly i've been covering the england germany italy hungary group because that to me looks like the most interesting group right now um but do you have any thoughts on any specific teams in the uefa nations league that you want to talk about yeah one being that you just mentioned and i'm, I'm happy that you actually watched the whole group because then you can give a better perspective also on it and it's essentially england right I am fully aware that a lot of these national teams are rotating, right? They haven't really been playing their full strength at all times. Even though the roster looks full strength, they've been rotating. But we can talk about how England has a lot of tactical issues in their team and even issues in terms of personnel, some individual players that just don't seem to be at the same level as many others of the team. To, to make it clear, the first thing, in Group B of the World Cup, England by far has the most talent and most depth. There's yeah. no questions of that. But I still think they're the weakest of the World Cup contenders. I agree. Right? Who are the uh, World Cup contenders for you, real quick? Brazil, France, Argentina, Germany. And then I also place probably, I, I do think Spain can give a lot of people yeah. problems. My main concern with Spain is the nine that they yeah. have. But that's a very good team that they have. They have a very yeah. strong squad. So those would be probably my top five. And then tier two would come in England, Portugal, Belgium. These teams that you know Holland. they have quality. Uh, who? Holland. Holland. The the teams that have quality, but for them to be a contender, they would really have to catch fire during the tournament. Have to yeah, get Uruguay, I think, is in that same tier yeah. two. Yeah, Uruguay would be in that tier two, too, causing a lot of trouble. But uh, semifinalists, essentially, that's the way I see them in possible final. I don't put Croatia this time. I don't think Croatia will no. make it that far. No. So England has a lot of issues, right? Um, it, they don't really they, – they do create for Harry Kane, but it, it doesn't seem like Harry Kane's in form. He missed some ridiculous goals against Germany, and then he scored off a PK that was kind of like, eh. Um, the defense there with Harry Maguire is overly shaky, which forces Southgate to play with two sixes that are more defensive-minded yeah. which just makes the team look anemic on offense. It's yeah. Mason Mount also is more of an old school English player. So he's not a pure playmaker. He doesn't create as much as English fans think he does. That's not who he is, right? Jack Grealish overrated right there. It, it does seem like maybe they're a little bit too much reliant on believing Harry Kane will solve their issues at all times that Southgate doesn't even think about switching play, not benching necessarily Harry Kane. But I talked about this on the Unsackable podcast. Why not try to play Harry Kane behind Tammy Abraham, almost as if he's a playmaker? Let him create. He can playmake and then have the wingers. And Tammy Abraham can score. He's proven that time in and time. There's options for England. 
but Southgate seems to have his mindset on that with Harry Kane as a lone forward, playing Harry Maguire, having to put two sixes that defend. And then Jude Bellingham has more responsibilities on defense than he probably should. And then he's not as creative as he can be because I think he can be a better creator than Mason Mount. So I do want to talk about England because I keep saying this. Um, if Burhalter gets it right, this English team is a team that we can very well tie, and it's even a beatable team. Scotland yeah. tied them in, in the Euros. They lost to Hungary right now, so they should have lost to Germany too. So they're not this boogeyman that some people think they are because they only watch the Premier League. Premier yeah. League fanboys are as dangerous of an opinion as MLS fanboys. They believe the Premier League is – they put the, them on this pedestal, and yes, it's the best league in the world – but a lot of these players are overhyped and Gareth Southgate. Well, it's the best league in the world because of all the other players, the non-Englishmen that play there, and they have the top coaches in the world. But I didn't want actually... to say that. I didn't want to sound toxic. <laughs> it's true. No, but it's, it's true. true. If you look at the top teams in the world, how many of like in the Premier League, the top four, how many of them do have, have Englishmen carrying them? Very Let's go deep. through Liverpool. Liverpool, who's English in Liverpool that starts and plays significant minutes? Um, Jordan Henderson Jordan. and Trent Arnold. That's two. Yes, and, and Henderson is not even that key. They could replace him. So Trent yeah. Arnold is probably the one. Yeah. That's key. Uh, Manchester City. Phil Foden, maybe, if he starts. Raheem yeah. Sterling. Sterling, um, Grealish now. Sometimes Kyle Walker. But none of them are, like, locked in starts. Stones. Stones. Stones sometimes starts. Yeah, it's – they're not the best players on that team. That no. team is carried by a lot of other very, very good players, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're – they're participants in a group project, but they're like when you do that science, <laughs> this is the English are going to hate us. It's like when you do that science project and there's a guy who contributes, you know, he's not a bad player and he has some good moments, but he's not, there's usually three or four guys on those teams that are like the true, they put the team on their back. And I don't see that in any of the English teams outside of Chelsea. Tottenham. I'll give Mason Mount his due. Tottenham um, with Harry Kane. And Harry Kane, yeah. And so a couple Chelsea others too. Um, have a few. You know, Mason I guess Mount. If you look also to Arsenal, you can also see a few players, Saka, you can see a Ramsey. But but essentially, we just mentioned the two top dogs, which are Manchester City and Liverpool. These are the ones that go to compete in the Champions League and actually have a I know Chelsea won the Champions League last season, but it was more of like a collective group effort rather than certain players caring or anything. You talked about Mount, and he's very important for Chelsea, but doesn't carry the team. If you remove Mount and put another player there, They'll probably be very similar. Obviously, if you start moving more, you start to have issues. But but yeah, what you said is spot on. It's um, it's not really English players that carry the league. They add value to the league. There's many top quality English players, and I do admire England's depth. Right? They have a good bench. But but again, um, this is not. We I think we got actually kind of lucky with the group we're at. We might not get out of the group. Who knows? Yeah. But overall, Wales is also not the strong side, and we've seen this in in the UF and Asia, but I'm going to pass it to you because you've been definitely covering it more. What are your thoughts on the group? Because England right now is getting relegated in the UF and Nations League. Yeah, they're bottom there. They have two points after half the games played. Uh, Germany are just ahead of them with three. Hungary has been the surprise package with four points and Italy who didn't even qualify for the world cup is top of the group with five. Now England's next game is against Hungary. That is a must win game at this point. If they don't want to get relegated. Because if they draw or lose, their last two games are against Germany and Italy. And the Italy one is away in Italy. So it's tough if they get relegated right before the World Cup, because it will be in September. The last two games will be in September. 
they get relegated, that's not good for their World Cup confidence, right? And um, I think one of the things they could do is they played a 4-2-3-1 last game against Italy, but it was Mason Mount as the 10, you know, which like you said, he's not a pure creator. He's a better technical player than England have had in the past, and he can certainly have moments. But I think they need to put a Phil Foden as their number 10, to be honest. I think he'd be a better 10 than Mason Mount. Uh, him, the player that they don't like to call to, which I do, I do understand that he's not at the same level as many others, but James Madison is actually a, an actual 10. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's a lot of value also on James Ward Prowse from Southampton, but he's not as flashy. I keep saying he's better than he's better or as good as David Beckham on set pieces. Uh, and that can be a very useful tool for England. But, and again, it, it all comes down also to that back line with Maguire. He is a problem. Like people don't want to admit this. Some people don't want, to, but he is a lie. But he's not a good center back. He's yeah. very error prone. He'll cost them points in the World Cup. He might cost them the World Cup. Yeah. Well, also in the absence of Ben Chilwell, who's still injured, their options at left back are Kieran Trippier, who's not left footed, or Luke Shaw. Neither of those guys are world class fullbacks. Yeah, but but Southgate loves Trippier because of the free kick goal in the World Cup. Yeah, like that's it, you know, but it's there are weaknesses in that England team. Should we pivot to talking about France? I don't know how much France you've been watching, but this is a team that we consider a World Cup opponent, and they are also bottom of their group right now. And it's not that hard of a group. It's Denmark, Croatia, and Austria. Denmark has nine points from three games, so perfect record. Croatia has seven, Austria has four, and France has two. I mean, they they, they weren't that good in the Euros either. They got and they have elbows. so much talent. Like they probably have more talent than anybody else in the world right now, bar maybe Brazil. Brazil is more the than only Brazil. one that's. I think they have more more than Brazil too. I think they have more. Even more. There's so much depth. Like you know, their their C team would give the U.S. a good game. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so why why are they doing so poorly? Do you know? I haven't been watching them. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> right? They, they have the same coach as the previous Disha. cycle. Right, previous cycle. Sometimes you need to switch up ideas. Right, Germany had that issue. Yeah, uh, they had the same coach. They held Joaquin Love for too long, and with a very strong side in 2018, it wasn't working. And then the Euros, it wasn't working. Then they got Hansi Flick. It looks like a better team now, and it might be World Cup contender. So I think it might be just fatigue from the coach at this point. The tactics people figured out. Also, they were a transition team. They know how to deal with that at this point. There might be a little bit of ego issues in the team as well because Paul Pogba is a big ego. Mbappe's ego has seemed to inflate it just like his bank account. It's like lately. the technical director of PSG now. <laughs> yeah, it, pretty much it's like an extension of PSG. And when you look at Mbappe's ego now, ever since he started making more money, that ego has been gone way up too. Yeah. Um, I haven't yeah. been watching their game, so I don't know if they're playing in Cuckoo too. That's probably was probably the best player in Bundesliga last season. I've been looking here and yeah, they've been playing him, but they've been just struggling. Uh, it could be fatigue from the coach. There's one group. I don't know if you want to talk more about France. There's one group I want to talk about that I don't think anyone would would be talking about it, but it just fascinates me for one reason. It's group from League B. Okay. It's um Norway. They're getting promoted. Yes. Right. Uh, and they beat Serbia, which is one of my dark. Remember, we talked about it. it's one of our dark horses for the World Cup. Yeah. They beat Serbia with Erlen Haaland scoring the goal. And it just makes me upset that Norway is not going to be in the World Cup. I know. It this just is one of the advantages of an expanded World Cup is teams like Italy, Norway, Colombia, Peru, Egypt will have more chances to qualify. 
Yeah, and I understand their team is not brilliant. There's a lot of issues in Norway they, they lack, but it's just two players that I wanted to see there. One, Martin Odegaard, because he is a true 10, right? Yeah. What we keep talking about, technical, can play make. And the other one is not having Erling Haaland in the World Cup too. That That's one group, but they're getting promoted and they're yeah, going to be in, in Nations League there and they're very likely going to be in the 2026 World Cup. That's a group I wanted to talk about because it's from League B. So yeah. I think not many people are following through. And, and Serbia, which is one of our dark horses, is there. Now, just to skim through League A, just so people that are listening to this can go through. We already talked about how group the first group, Group 1, Denmark leads, Croatia in second, Austria in third, France in fourth. Group 2, Pete, is Spain that's been playing very well in yeah. first, Portugal in second, Czech Republic in fourth, and Switzerland. Look at that, fourth. Yeah. Uh, I think Switzerland will struggle this World Cup. Then the other one is the group you talked about a lot, England, and you've been covering at 11 Yanks. And the last group is the team you mentioned that um, we had some question marks about Holland or Netherlands under Louis van Gaal, but they've been looking fairly good, not just in Nations League, but when they play the friendly against Germany, the team is looking good, Netherlands. And they're leading the group ahead of Belgium, ahead of Poland, and ahead of Wales. So it is a tough group, probably... It's very tough group, actually. All teams are in the World Cup. Wales is annoying to deal with. Belgium is a top team. And Poland, oh, Poland got ran over by Belgium 6-1. Six, um, six or seven. Was it six or seven? I can't remember. Six, six, one. Six, one. six, one. But Netherlands is a team that's leading there, too, and qualifying to the next round of Nations League. And Wales they're, they're, are getting relegated, looks like, from this group. They have one point after three games. Um, as they should, as, they, as should. they should, but that speaks to us. Right. And like, this is why I think we should absolutely expect to get out of our group. doesn't mean we will, but this is not a good Wales team. This is a bunch of grifters and grinders. And if we can't beat them in Iran or at least finish above them in Iran, then that's a failure. In my opinion, we have to get out of our group to, to call this world cup a success. Now, Pete, so we can wrap up the the podcast here very soon. Probably by the time a lot of people are listening to this, the USMNT El Salvador game will already have happened, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we did previews on both channels, your channel. So if anyone wants some more in-depth on that, they can check both of those videos. Um, what should we talk about? Maybe give a score prediction of what we're expecting from this game real quick? Because people I just want to win away, you know? Yeah. Throughout seven games in World Cup qualifying, we won one away game. We Against can't Honduras. be the kings of CONCACAF if we can only win at home. That's the truth, right? If you can't win outside the United States, then you're just a home merchant. And I want us to put that to bed here. And this El Salvador team is missing Alex Roldan and Eric Zavaleta. It's still a very good team and it's still playing away. But we have almost our full team out there, right? Sure, we're missing a few people through injury too. But I think Greg Berhalter is going to go with a strong lineup. I think Adams and Pulisic and Musa and Wea and all these guys are going to start. And we need to get the win. We need to put that away moniker, like the U.S. can't win outside the U.S. We need to put that to bed. It won't completely put it to bed, but a win away here would not only be a good thing in terms of our confidence and our, like, you know, showing progress, but also because if we win this game, we essentially win the group, right? We would have six points. El Salvador would have four, right? Uh, We would also have a game in hand. And our next two games would be El Salvador at home, and Curis, uh, and uh, Grenada away. And that will be in March. So three, two or three months after the World Cup. So we could conceivably take a B team to those last two games and still comfortably win our group. I didn't realize it was two months after the World, three months after the World Cup, mm-hmm. we're back playing Nations League again. Yeah, I think you nailed both of my points too. One is win away. We need to get over that and start winning away. The other one is Greg Berhalter might not be in charge of the US after the World Cup for whatever reason. 
And it's a way for him to leave a legacy, right? He hands this team to whoever takes charge after, if he leaves, right? I'm not saying he's going to leave. He hands this team pretty much qualified if he beats El Salvador. Pretty much qualified. Now, if he ties, El Salvador still has a chance. They can come after the World Cup, pull a draw against the U.S. at home. Um, Again, it's a competitive match that we need to win because we want to go to the semifinals and get the trophy. Uh, Kings of CONCACAF needs to keep winning trophies and win away because it will be a major confidence boost before we go to the World Cup and for for future cycles as well in this nonsense that you can't win away in CONCACAF. Agreed. Uh, So I'm going to say... 2-0 2-0 United States. Yep. I'm going to go 2-0 United States also. I'm especially okay. looking forward to Ethan Horvath and Haji Wright's performance to seeing how they do. Because those are the two we know for sure are starting. And they're both on the fringes of this team. But they both have something to prove here, right? Mm-hmm. Ethan Horvath wants to keep his spot going into Qatar, at least in the roster. And Haji Wright wants to be in the conversation to go to Qatar as one of the center forwards. So yeah. really curious to see how they perform. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Tactical Yanks Podcast. We forgot to actually read a review today, but if you drop a, next time. Yeah, if you drop a positive review, we'll read it. Okay, we promise. We'll be back here next Tuesday. Until then, bye-bye, everyone.